Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Psalms chapter 69 this evening. If you don't have your Bible with you tonight, there should be one uh, near or around you, perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you will find a copy of God's Word, and we would encourage you to pick that up and follow along with us in our reading of Psalms chapter 69. We are working our way through the book of Psalms on Wednesday evenings. We come this evening to Psalm 69, and it's 36 verses, okay? So there's a a lot of ground for us to make up this evening. I'll let you keep your seat while we read the psalm together, and we'll begin in verse number 1, all right? Psalms chapter 69, verse number 1, and we'll go all the way down to verse number 36 for our scripture reading. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink deep, I, I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying, my throat is dried, mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. And they would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mightier, or or, or, are mighty. Then I destroyed that which I took not, then I restored, rather, that which I took not away. O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. When I wept, And chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was a song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in the acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me, and in truth of thy salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me, not, let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. And hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, and hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. And draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of mine enemies. For thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, and there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them. And that which should have been for their welfare, 
let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their inhabitation, let their habitation be desolate and let none that dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten and they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded. Add iniquity unto their iniquity and let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the books of the, of, of the living and, let not, and, and not be written with righteousness. Be, but I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bullock that hath horns and hooves. The, humbles, the humble shall see this and be glad and your heart shall live that seek God. For the Lord heareth the poor, and despiseth not his prisoners. Let the heaven and the earth praise him, the seas and everything that moveth therein. For God will save Zion. He will build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and have possession in it. The seed also of his servant shall inherit it, and they that love his name shall dwell therein. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chapter. Father, we ask that you would teach us great and wonderful truths from it. Father, so much, so much to take in this evening. I pray that you might, Father, take all of this chapter, be able to, Father, boil it down, funnel it in, Father, to what you would have us to know about you, about your plan, about your will, about your way for our hearts and lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. 36 verse, a lot of ground to cover, so we got to go fast. The psalm that we just read, Psalm 69, is quoted by Jesus in a very interesting and remarkable way. In fact, I want you to see if you go to John chapter number 15. John chapter 15, Jesus is discussing with his disciples the fact that people are opposed to him and the fact that there's so much hostility toward him. And in John chapter 15, in verse number 25, he actually quotes the psalm that we just read. Look at verse number 25 of John chapter 15. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law, that they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, of whom, I will, of whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The phrase in verse 25, that they hated me without a cause. And Jesus is referencing this psalm in Psalms chapter number 69. Jesus quotes this again in John chapter number 2. I want you to see this chapter. John chapter 2. Just go forward in the book of John just a little ways. You'll find our chapter. John chapter 52, verse number 13. John chapter 52, verse number 13. Not, not 52. John 2, verse 13. There is no John 52. If you're looking for that one, you're going to be looking for a while, all right? John 2, verse 13. It reads, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and dove, exchangers of money, uh, sitting. And when he had made a scourge, uh, when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove all of them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, 
and make not my father's house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. So John 15, Jesus is quoting John 69, John chapter 2, the disciples watch what Jesus does and they remember the words of verse number 9, that the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. So, so in other words, they see Jesus doing what David himself said he was also doing. So the disciples see Jesus' actions as, as Christ, or the disciples see Jesus' actions as David's actions. The disciples see David's words as Jesus' words. You see it again in John chapter number 19. Go, go backwards now. John chapter number 19. You'll see a, a similar idea. John chapter 19, verse uh, number 28, verse number 29 and 30. John chapter 19, verse 28, 29 and 30. And after this, Jesus, knowing all things were accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And now there was set a vessel of full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar, and they put it upon hyssop, and they put it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. So Jesus hanging on the cross in horrible agony, we read where they take the sponge, they dip it in vinegar, and they offer it to Jesus, just like in verse number 21 of Psalms 69, similar situation of which David is speaking about himself, but he's also speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's happening in Psalm 69? Well, at one level, Psalm 69 is written by and about David. But at another level, it is written about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in one way a reference to the immediate problems that David is facing about the people who hated them and how they were using their position and their words and their, their uh, welfare in order to attack David. It is in one reference about David and what David is experiencing, but it is in another reference about what Jesus will experience when he comes prophetically for David and, of course, uh, looking back at the Lord Jesus Christ's life, we see that too. It, it is to say that the, refer the psalm does not have one reference. It has, it has two references. It actually refers to two different people. It refers to not only what David is experiencing, the problems, the situations, the circumstances to which David is living in, but it also refers that there is one who is greater than David. That while David is a king suffering and going through his own set of situations, his own set of problems, his own trying times, his own suffering, while this is true of David in one hand, it is, it is infinitely more true about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, all throughout the book of John, is actually saying things like, those words that you read were actually about me. Yeah, those sacrifices you made were actually in reference to me. Yeah, that, that, that temple you worshipped in was actually about me. Those sacrifices were actually a foreshadowing of me, of my plan, of my way, of what I'm accomplishing, of the purpose that I've come to do. 
Now, admittedly, Psalm 69 is way too much ground to cover, so we're going to cover it very, very simple ground, okay? We'll make, we make up simple ground. What, what in this psalm are we meant to know about the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, three things. Number one, Jesus came to be our servant. Number one, Jesus came to be our servant. Look at verse number 17 of Psalm 69. Verse number 17. Hide not thy face from thy servant. Look at the very beginning of the psalm. How is it that Jesus is our servant? Okay, so Jesus is, David speaking about himself, but also speaking prophetically about Christ. Hide not thy face from thy servant. How is this true for Jesus? How did he come to be our servant? Look at verse number one. Save me, O God, for the waters are coming to my soul. I sink I sink in deep mire where there is no standing, and I am come into deep water where floods overflow me. Jesus is saying, this is what I came to do. This is the reason, the purpose, uh, my life's work and mission. I came to be a servant. In which way does Jesus serve us? Or how does Jesus serve us? In this way that Jesus sinks Look at verse 2. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. This is what a servant does. A servant sinks. A servant lowers himself. A servant humbles himself. And that's, that's like, that's Pauline writing, isn't it? Philippians chapter number 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Psalm 69, Philippians chapter 2, all the references in the book of John, even, even Jesus' coming into uh, the world by way of Chris, the Christmas story in Luke 1 and in Luke 2, all teach us that Jesus is coming as a way in which he is sinking. He is descending. He is coming down, humbling himself. It, all, what are all those references? What are all those images? Sinking and, and humbling and, and, and descending. What are all those references and images to? They're images and references to the fact that Jesus came as a servant. What does this mean for you and for me? All right, Jesus comes as a servant. Great pastor, I understand that. What does that mean for you and for me? Well, it means several things. It means, first of all, that this is the way it is in God's economy. That the way to go up is to go down. And the way to go down is to lift yourself up. The way to go up is down. And the way to go down is to lift yourself up. Up. This is what it means to be a servant. This is the essence of servanthood. To go down. To put yourself down. To lower yourself down. To humble yourself. This is what Philippians 2 says. Let this mind be in you. Well, what mind? The mind of Christ in this way. 
Let the mind of Christ in this way, in that he humbled himself, became a servant for us, the way, the mentality of servanthood that Christ possessed, let that mentality be your mentality. Let it be my mentality. Mentality of servanthood. This teaches us the way it is in God's economy. The way to go up is to lower yourself. And the way to go down is to raise yourself up. Let him that thinketh he stands take heed lest he fall. You remember what Solomon says? Better to sit at the lower table and be invited to the chief table than to go to the chief table and be told, hey, you're not supposed to sit at the chief table. Go sit at the kid's table, right? How many of you at Christmas time, you have a kid's table, you have an adult's table, right? I always enjoy the kids' table better. It's like there's more, better conversation at the kids' table than the adult table, right? But I'll never forget making the journey from having to be at the kids' table to, wow, I'm somebody. I get to sit with the big people. I get to sit at the adult table. Wow, right? And then you get there and you go, this isn't really all it's cracked up to be. Better to go to the kids' table and then go, hey, we have a spot for you here than for you to go stand at the table and go, where's my spot? And then go, we don't have one for you. Go sit down there, right? Uh, much wisdom from Solomon on that point. And much insight into the way that you and I are supposed to go through our lives. The way up is down. And the way down is to lift yourself up. And Jesus is showing us this. In fact, this is what Jesus does in the incarnation. In the incarnation, in the birth of Christ into the world, what does Jesus do? Jesus goes from heaven to earth. Jesus goes from up to down. Jesus goes from it all, and he lowers himself to what? To be born in a stall. To be born in a manger. And there's all kinds of really cute Christmas cards and nice Christmas lingo like the cattle are lowing, the baby awake. You ever sing that verse and you went, what is a cattle lowing sound like? You know what it sounds like? It sounds like mooing. That's what it sounds like. It just isn't as poetic to say the cattle are mooing, the baby is awake and crying, right? Because a baby isn't sleeping when the cattle are mooing. That's not how it works. Yeah, everyone in the house has to be quiet for the baby to sleep. Oh, but we'll, we don't want to think of it. We want to think of it pristine and clean and nice and neat and the cattle are lowing, the baby awake, these fond thoughts. He's born in a barn. There are no fond thoughts there. It does not smell good. It does not look good. It does not sound good. What is this teaching us about Christ? He became our servant. Even at his birth, he shows us the way in which he desires for us to live. Here is the fairest among 10,000, the Bible says. Here is the beauty of the Son of God. And he has all of that removed from himself in order to descend down into humanness. 
in order to become one of us. He has the wealth of heaven ripped from him, and he is cast into abject poverty. He has perfect fellowship and union with the Father, and he is thrown into abject loneliness as the Father turns his face from him while Christ hangs on the cross. He has the joy of eternity in his heart, and yet he enters into this world, and our grief, our pain, our sorrow becomes his own. Even, even by way in which he came into this world, he showed us that the way up is down. In God's economy, the way up is down. This is the essence of Christianity. A Christian is someone who lives in absolute contradiction to all of the world's wisdom, which says that the way you make it in this world is to self-promote. The way you make it in this world is to do what makes you happy. The way you make it in this world is to lift yourself up because no one else will. The way you make it in this world is get and gain and hoard. The way you make it in this world is through, through success. And Christianity comes along and says, no, no, no. The way you make it in eternity is to become like a servant, to humble yourself. Let this mind be in you. Even Mary, believing God, we, we talked about that this past weekend, Mary, believing God. Be it unto me according to thy word. Mary says, I have no idea how this is going to work out. I have no idea how this is going to play out. And yet, God, I'm willing to accept that if this is your plan, if this is your will, if this is your way, then be it unto me according to thy word. Jesus came to be our servant. Number two, Jesus came to be hated. Look at verse number three, verse number four. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I await for God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully or mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. In the New Testament, Jesus points out that people automatically will hate him with no reason. In fact, the Bible reads it this way. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They automatically rejected him without reason or cause, without, without any sort of logic. They, they irrationally hate Jesus. Why do they hate him the way he that they do? Because, because he is holy and they are not. Luke chapter number 2, verse number 34, verse number 35, Simeon says to Mary, Jesus' mother, after, she see, after he sees the child, he says, behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many may be revealed. Do you hear what he just told her? When, when, you, when you are... Given a child in this world, you hold that child, and everybody comes and they wish you all these well wishes. They go, oh wow, he's going to be great, he's wonderful, aren't you so blessed to be a mom? And look at this, it's a beautiful thing. This baby is destined for greatness. Simeon says, this baby is going to bring you nothing but a sword through your heart, Mary. 
This baby will be nothing but set for the rise and the fall of many. Why do they irrationally hate Christ? Why do they turn? Why do they reject? And here's why. Because there is something inside the human heart. It exists in your heart. It exists in mine. That there is this attempt at self-justification. Whenever we are near or around people who have a measure of godliness that is greater than our own, we do one of two things. We either run away from them or we run them down. Whenever someone comes along and goes, oh wow, this person's a measure of godliness greater than mine, a measure of godliness greater than my own, we either go, oh my goodness, get away from them, and we run, we don't want to be around them because we feel the sting of conscience in our own hearts, in our own consciences about the things that we know we should do and yet have not yet done. We feel the sting of conscience and so we run away. Or we feel the sting of conscience and so we run them down. Well, yeah, let me tell you what I know about him. Oh yeah, well let me tell you what I know that he did. Well yeah, yeah, he might be good in this area, but I know some other stuff. Just by way of prayer request, let me share it with you. Now let's pray for this brother or sister. That is an attempt of self-justification. That's true of, this is, this, is, this is not true rather, of anyone who is trying to live the servant life. Listen, the servant will always be hated without cause. Well, why? Because the servant is trying to live the servant life. Normal servanthood. Normal moral living. Normal Christian living. It reveals, it shows, it stings the conscience of those who are not living according to the way and word of God. When you live like a Christian at work, it stings the conscience. It brings a rebuke for all those who are living dishonestly at work. When you refuse to give in to the gossip, it brings a sting of conscience to all those who gossip. When you refuse to be loose with your living and your sexuality, it brings a sting of conscience for all those who are loose in their living. This is the question for you and for me then. Do we just try to blend into the surroundings? Do we just try to make it by? Do we just play low, keep the cards close to the chest in order to not let anyone know that we might be Christian? Or are we willing to live our good works before men that they might glorify our Father which is in heaven? Jesus came as our servant. Jesus came to be hated third and last. Jesus came as our substitute. We're almost done. We're not going to make it all the way through, but I told you three. We'll give you three, all right? Look at verse 5. Oh God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. Let them not, let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my own brethren, an alien unto my mother's children. And for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee, notice the phrase, are fallen on 
me. The reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen on me. Number three, Jesus came as our substitute. David is perplexed. He, he cannot understand why it is that through his own experience, he is having to bear the burden of someone else's reproach, of someone else's decision, of someone else's mistakes, of someone else's sin. He can't understand why he is the one. He's, he, what he's saying in this is, God, God, why am I experiencing their reproach? Why am, I, why am I experiencing their heartbreak? Why am I experiencing their, their suffering? I, I, didn't, I didn't deserve this, and yet this is what fell on me. And in this way, Jesus is the greater David, because David is saying, I do not deserve for this to fall on me. And Jesus says, God, if it is your will for it to fall on me, then let it fall on me. And he takes our sin, and he takes our weakness, and he takes our iniquity, and he takes our chastisement all upon himself. This is Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, where Jesus takes all of this upon himself as our own substitute, as our, as our penalty and payment for the sins and transgressions of which we have committed. This is, this is a, a simple understanding inside of the human heart. Whenever I ask one of my children to pick up something that has been left out, if the Legos were left out by them, they are begrudging, but they pick up the Legos. How many of you know what I mean? There's the Legos all over the room, and I say, go pick up the Legos, and they're the ones that made the mess. They go, ah, oh, fine, but I'm, I'm going to play with them later. I know, pick them up. I don't want them left out. Fine, fine, I'll put them away. But if I say to one of my sons, go pick up those Legos, and they were not the ones who played with them, what is their immediate answer? Oh, I didn't even make that mess. He did it. He has to pick it up, right? Every kid, every human heart has this innate sense of fairness. If he got the Legos out, then he has to be the one that picks them up. And if he made the mess, then he has to be the one that cleans it up. And if he did the wrong, then he is the one who deserves that penalty or punishment. Not, not me. And yet Jesus comes as a way to say, I am the Lamb of God, perfect, spotless, without blemish, who is coming to take away the sin of, of the world. Wonderful imagery. In fact, if you really want a really fun study, study out the idea of the sacrificial lamb that the children of Israel would make on behalf of their sin for atonement as the priest would take his hands and he would lay his hands on the head of that lamb as a way of transferring the sins of Israel to the head of that lamb. Transferring this as, a, as, a, as an image of taking the sins of this family who brought the lamb and laying them on the head of that lamb and then taking that lamb and then sacrificing that lamb on the altars. Beautiful imagery about the substitutionary death of that lamb. And it's beautiful imagery of the substitutionary death that the Lord Jesus Christ took on the cross in our place. So pastor, what does this have to say about a servant? Here's what it is. The servant is someone who says, I know it's not my fault, but someone has to take the hit. I'll take the hit. 
The servant is someone who says, I know it's not my fault, but someone has to pay the cost, I'll pay the cost. The servant is someone who says, I know I don't deserve it, but someone has to pay it, I'll pay it. And in this way, Jesus was the greatest servant of them all. Why? Because he came into his own, his own received him not. Because he was that perfect spotless lamb of God, because he was without sin, he was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. And he says, someone has to pay the cost. Someone has to take the hit. Someone has to suffer. Someone has to experience the wrath of God. I will do that for them, for you, for me, for us. And in this way, Jesus is the greatest servant. Why? Because he took the biggest hit. He carried the heaviest weight. And he took upon himself the most incredible debt of them all, the debt of the sin of the entire world. You say, Pastor, what's, what's really the reason for the season? What's really the Christmas message? What's Christmas really all about? You know what it's all about? It's about this. Jesus came to be your servant. The way up was down. He was hated among his own, and all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And he did this for your sake and mine. And in this way, he is the greatest servant of them all.